Good morning. We are glad you're here, and I hope that as we open the scriptures together, uh, that you'll have ears to hear what the Lord has to say to us this morning. So open, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4 and chapter 5, uh, we're in this section of this letter to these believers about how they are to walk in this faith that they have entered into in their relationship with God. So chapters 1, 2, and 3 really didn't have any direct commands. I don't know if you'd pick that up. It was all about who God is and who we are in Christ. And then chapter 4 and 5 come along, and there are many commands for us to live out what God has done in us. And so uh, let me take us back as you open to chapter 4. It starts, this chapter, with walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In other words, there is a manner in which you and I live that is consistent with who we've been made in Christ. And that's all he's simply saying. I want you to live out a life that's consistent with what I've done in your heart, your calling. And chapters one, two, and three are simply summed up in this way. Because in Christ... I am alive from the dead, blessed abundantly, blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am loved perfectly. I could not be loved more by God. I am strengthened supernaturally. And by the way, how am I strengthened supernaturally? Okay, thank you. Okay. I'm not just sitting veg right now. You're going to engage. We're strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Where? In the inner man. So there is a, a strengthening supernatural from God because it's God himself dwelling in us. That in, itself, in and of itself, just, just imagine, how would we really, really live if we lived every moment with that clear reality I have the power of God at work in me and the power of God at work through me. Ever lose sight of that? Absolutely, we lose sight of that. Uh, Maybe you don't feel this, but I feel for the folks along the Louisiana coast right now. You know, we've we've felt that impact over the years. And so maybe if you grew up in Nebraska, you don't think about this. But uh, that is some serious destruction coming because that's some serious power. But minimal to the power of God. You've got much more. This might sound weird, but you have much more than category five hurricane alive and living within you. That's the, we're strengthened supernaturally by God. We live in that way, loved perfectly, and made a minister of God. He says, if that's who we are, here's how we ought to live. First, we ought to live in relational unity, with the key being humility. That there would be unity among us because we are one body and there is one God and we have one faith and one hope and one Savior. There's unity because of who we are and in that unity, though God has made us all differently, we will capitalize on that difference and we will serve together. Each of us, as God has gifted us, 
for the building up of the body of Christ. You see, just trying to give you the big picture. This is who we are, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And this is how first 12 verses in Ephesians 4, how we're to live in light of who we are. So now we're going to go next section in Ephesians 4 that's going to say, here's the third reality, the third calling that we ought to live out because of what has been placed within. Until, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So, because of who I am in Christ, unity. Because of who I am in Christ, serving. And because of who I am in Christ, we ought to be growing into spiritual maturity. We don't start mature, we grow into maturity. And so, if we are who we are, loved and strengthened and called and blessed, we're to be growing in maturity. What's that maturity look like? It looks like unity. Second times he comes back to this unity. It's a relational unity. Maturity looks like unity. Meaning immaturity looks like what? Division. And that's not just within the church, that's within the relationship that's intended to reflect the Godhead marriage. When you're first married, you have to learn to mature in that marriage. And the more mature you become in the marriage, what happens? The greater the relational oneness. Now notice, and this really isn't the message, this is just an aside for a moment. Have you noticed that years don't automatically bring unity? Some people, the longer they're married, the more divided they are. What brings unity? Maturity. Maturity takes time, but time does not automatically turn into unity. Maturity is reflected in unity, but we don't have unity apart from growing in maturity. Second, that the measure of maturity is our knowledge, not of God, but of Jesus. And when I say not of God, what I mean is this. There are a lot of people who think and talk a lot about God. But if you really want to get into maturity, move from spiritual conversations about God and start talking about the person of Jesus Christ. That's a whole different conversation. And that is ultimately because he defines maturity in this text as likeness to Jesus. Now understand what he's saying here in verse 13. Well, let let me show it to you again. You got it? Maturity, how's it measured? By our relational unity, unity, our knowledge of the Son of God, Jesus, and our likeness to him. Go back and look at the text we're taking that from. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to to the fullness of Christ. Can you know about Jesus and not be like Jesus? 
Absolutely. One of the greatest dangers the New Testament reveals is this idea that knowing equals maturity. It doesn't. Knowing apart from maturity equals deceived. That's what James says. If you know it but aren't like it, you've actually deceived yourself. So the question isn't, do I know him? The question is, like him. So then why do we need to know him? You can't be like someone you don't know. You see that? That's why knowledge of Jesus is an important part of going towards maturity, but it's not the end point. Because ultimately, the New Testament also says this, knowledge can puff up. So knowledge is important, but it's not the goal. What's the goal? Likeness to Jesus. I quote this expression a fair amount. The measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. But I confess, for a long time I got all confused with those words. And maybe you've tried to say it. And it's like, what? What, To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What's what's that even mean? Uh, Here's to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. You with me? So what's the likeness of Jesus that we're seeking to grow maturity into? As broad as Jesus is, as deep as Jesus is, as high as Jesus is, as full as. 3D as Jesus is. We're growing into the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. That's maturity. In other words, I'm like him in every way, in every environment, at all times. Measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So, there's not one verse that says, well, here's here's the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So I asked myself, if I went through the Gospels to see what's Jesus like, if I'm going to be like him, if maturity is Christ's likeness, and if I'm going to be like him, what am I going to be like? So I went through the Gospels and asked myself, what would be the recurring themes of here is Jesus? First, we would see that that which marked the life of Jesus was a relationship of abiding in the Father. You could never read through the Gospels without capturing that Jesus said, I do what I do because I have been sent by the Father and I'm going to return to the Father. I do what I do, not on my own initiative, but only what the Father tells me to do. I say what I say, not on my own initiative, but only what the Father tells me to say. There is this relationship that Jesus has with the Father that is described as abiding in him. So catch it. If you and I are going to be like Jesus, then we're going to have to learn to abide with him as he lived in an abiding relationship with the Father. And and so if you think, wow, I'm not even sure what that means to abide in Jesus, that's going to be hard. 
for you to become like Jesus. When the primary relationship, the primary attribute that defined his life was an abiding one with the Father. Second, what would you see in the life of Jesus? A seeking of the lost. And I put that as second because this is what surprised people so much and irritated them so much is his engagement with lost folks. The fact that he, and they didn't say this complimentary, he's a friend of sinners. And Jesus didn't deny it. He said, yeah, that's exactly right. That's why I came. Well, people don't need a doctor. Who needs a doctor? Sick people. Anybody sick? Uh, Can I be honest with you? If we don't recognize that, we'll never gain what the Lord has for us when we gather. The, The more we recognize our need for Jesus, the more we'll experience him. But if we think our life's kind of put together, eh, Check a box. The life of Jesus was one of abiding in the Father, seeking the lost, serving the needy. I didn't come to, even though I am God and the Son of God, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. He engaged himself with hard people. He touched people that nobody else wanted to touch. He helped people that nobody else wanted to help. He helped people that nobody else could help. Are you tracking with me right now? I'm identifying for us what marked the life of Jesus in the Gospels and what it looks like for us to be like him, abiding, seeking, serving. Confronting. Jesus had some really hard words. And it wasn't for hurting lost people. It was for religious, hypocritical people. People who talked a lot about being spiritual, but didn't have his heart. Whitewashed tombstones. That's what he called them. Hypocrites called him out. That was so much a part of what Jesus was doing because the false teaching and the hypocrisy was enslaving people that he was seeking to set free. And finally, he was ultimately a disciple maker. Now, what do we mean by a disciple maker? We mean this, and I hope this will really capture you this morning. It means this, I live life in a manner that my influence will long outlive me. Meaning, (laughs) I live my life in a manner that I am pouring my life into other folks so that they would then live as I lived and they would If they do that, they would be disciple makers. He was a disciple maker of disciple makers. That is why we live in 2021 and the name and the work of Jesus continues. Because 
Watch. Can I have your eyes for just a moment? To be like Jesus is to be a multiplier. And sometimes we lose that. I can't be like Jesus until I've learned to abide in him, be a friend of sinners, really serve people, have the courage, guts to call out false teaching for what it is to protect truth, and to live in a manner that other people are going to carry that on to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. So uh, I hope this is really clear to you. What's our goal? Maturity. Who's mature? Well, none of us. We're to be growing until we all attain. In other words, we're on the journey of moving towards Christ's likeness. And in each of these areas, you may go, bingo, bingo, oh, You may find yourself at different levels of like Christ differently in each of these areas. But here's the big question. How much do you want to be like Jesus? On a scale of one to ten. One being, eh, and ten being, let's go. How much do you want to be like Jesus? Now, I know you're in church, so it would be like ten, ten, ten. Here's something that's really helped me as I have worked through change. When it comes to change, I ask myself this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how badly do I want to change? If it's more than 1, why is it more than 1? That's a good question to ask yourself. Why? Because it gets to the desires, the motivations of my heart. If it's less than 10, what keeps it from being a 10? You know what that exposes? The idols of my heart. If it's less than 10, it's the stuff that, well, I want to hold on more than I want that. And that's real life. So a few of us all graduated from Columbia together. Uh, Another guy like me found his wife at Columbia, was a pastor, and very, very, very early on, she got sick and died, like late 30s. And it was like, as you can imagine, just devastating, like, oh man, I cannot imagine. And his words to us were this. I am closer to the Lord than I ever have been. In fact, uh, I'm much closer to the Lord because of her death than honestly I would have had she not died. To which, and I understood this, my other friend said, I don't want to be that close to the Lord. And he wasn't joking. I don't want to be that close to the Lord. You get that, don't you? See, I know we're in church, and so we know the right answer. But there's certain things that we go, we know that suffering would make us more like Christ, but who really is like me, me, me? 
So we, we may go, well, in reality, I'd like to be as mature as I can while still maintaining the life I presently have. I'm not justifying that. I'm saying that's more honest. I'd like to be mature, just don't let my kids get sick. I'd like to be mature, but this COVID thing is getting too close to home. I'd like to be mature, but can I be mature and still have my job? You see what I'm saying? Or my health. So what causes us to grow in to Christ's likeness? What will make us more like Jesus? Well, go back to our text and let's continue on. Pick it up in verse 14. As a result, he says, that we are to be attaining to growing in Christ's likeness, the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So here's what he just told us. How you grow in maturity. Now let me acknowledge, it's not every way that we grow in maturity. There's other texts that would fill this out. But I want us to see from this text some important elements of how the means by which we grow in maturity. First, he says, we grow in maturity by, like Jesus, identifying and rejecting error, false teaching, perversions of truth. And almost all perversions of truth are effective because they have a seed of truth to them. In other words, I ask myself, in my own life, what false teaching has been around me and actually been a part of my life that I have seen either in me or in friends, false teaching that stunted their growing into maturity. So this isn't theoretical. This is analysis of our own current culture, what's stunting growth in terms of air. He says, I don't want you to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. It sounds right, but it's not. Here's a few that I've identified. First, legalism is a huge stunt our growth into Christ-likeness. You know what I mean by legalism? I simply mean this. We start with God's law, and then in order to protect and enforce God's law, we add some more laws to it. But here's the problem. Now our laws become as important or more important as God's law. And you have to 
keep that law. That's legalism. It's adding to what God has required. I'm not saying it's a bad intent. It may be a good intent, but it's not good. Right? The scripture says, don't be drunk with wine. What if... What is legalism often said? Drop of alcohol and you go to hell. That's how I was taught. I was shocked when I got old enough to read my Bible and go, the Bible doesn't actually say that. But that's what I was taught. Why? Because people were against alcohol. No, they were, they were trying to protect. But in protecting, they actually stunted growing into Christ's likeness because it rejects things that God has not rejected and enforces things that God has not enforced. Prosperity promises, meaning what? If you love God and trust God enough, what will he do? He'll make you healthy and wealthy. Hey, who doesn't want to get on that ship, right? Let's set sail on that baby. I'd love to say, well, if I trust God, he'll make me healthy and wealthy. What's the problem with that? Jesus. And I really mean that. Uh, How we buy into that, how that is so popular when the very life of Jesus himself contradicts that teaching because he was neither healthy nor wealthy. And he trusted God fully. Yes? But that stunts growth because now I'm not following Jesus. I'm looking for a reward. Jesus helps, but it's not finished. That's simply a works-oriented gospel. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but Jesus plus doesn't cause me to grow into Christ-likeness. I hear another voice. Works part of your upbringing? In other words, it's not grace. It's Jesus and what he did plus what you do. And it may be enough, it may not be enough. That'll stunt your growth. The whole concept of purgatory, that after you die... You're going to have to be purified to finish what Jesus didn't finish. That'll stunt your growth. We have to identify, reject error. Sin freely. God will forgive you. Do we believe in God's forgiveness? 100%. By grace. But the scripture warns very clearly about this idea. I know I can do what God says not to do because he'll forgive me. And we've made it even to a little fun thing. It's easier to get forgiveness than permission. That'll stunt your growth because has God called us to holiness or not? Yes. Will we be perfect until we get to heaven? No. Is that an excuse to sin? The scripture says it this way. God forbid, no. 
May it never be that we would sin freely based on the fact that God will forgive. That will, that will cause you not to grow into Christ-likeness, to recognize that you have in the Holy Spirit to strengthen you all that you need for life and for godliness. And then fifth, I watch this a lot, the whole charismatic movement, and I'm not throwing the charismatic movement under the bus here. I am saying the scripture does not say that speaking in tongues is necessary for maturity. But there's a whole movement that identified if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not going to grow into the fullness of Christ. And friends, you may go, I haven't even heard about that. Well, praise the Lord. You weren't impacted by that false teaching, that error. But some of you have been. And you need to understand that that stunts are growing into Christ's likeness because the scripture is clear. No one has every gift. Do we suggest that everybody should have the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues? No, the scripture says the exact opposite. It's a gift for the building up of the body of Christ, not for growing in maturity. So friends, if that's part of your story, reject it. It's going to stunt your growth into Christ-likeness. Maybe you don't connect to those. Maybe there'd be another one that you would put. In my own journey, these are five of the errors that I've seen that, that cause us to not grow into Christ-likeness. All right. Second means of growing in maturity, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love were to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. Now, there's three means of growth here. Speaking the truth in love were to grow up into him who is the head first. Speaking the truth in love is a means by which we grow in maturity. Learning to speak the truth in love is part of maturing. You ever been chicken? I've been chicken. You ever been chicken? Yeah. And the courage to speak truth in gentleness and love is part of our maturity. Some of us, quite frankly, aren't growing into Christ-likeness because we, we hide behind things like this. Oh, I, I'm not really a person who likes conflict. I, I'm not really a person who likes confrontation. Look, if you like confrontation, you're not like Jesus either then. We're not, we're not looking for conflict or for confrontation, but we recognize there is a time to admonish. The scripture says part of our role towards one another is not only to encourage the faint-hearted and to strengthen the weak, but it's to admonish the unruly. And in the church, there's too often, oh, that, well, that's the pastor's job. Do you speak the truth in love? Some that would be a huge step of faith 
to actually speak and to do it in love. And because sometimes it's like, okay, now I'm ticked off. That wasn't mature, right? It's, it's when my heart is breaking for how you are walking away from the Lord that I lovingly come and speak truth to you. Do you need that? Yeah. I need that? Yes. So implied in the text, if a means of growing and maturity is speaking the truth in love, the, the reverse would be true. Receiving the truth spoken in love. In other words, if someone's speaking the truth in love, it's, it's for someone. And the receiving of that. Has anybody ever spoken the truth to you in love in a manner that turned you from error or turned you in a way from not obeying the Lord and it got you back on track? Has anybody ever done that for you? I hope so. I hope actually that you recognize, wow, sometimes that happens here on Sunday morning to me. You receive the truth and you go, I was headed toward error. I was not walking with the Lord. I was not obeying him and now I am. What's, if this takes courage, speaking the truth in love, what's receiving the truth in love take? Humility of what? I was wrong. I've been wrong. Have you, been, have you ever been wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's easy to admit it right now in a big groove. But when it's your spouse or a friend who goes, you're wrong, you're like, hey, back it up. You're my friend. You don't tell me right and wrong. You just encourage me with whatever I'm doing. No, 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 no. That's not what friends do. Do friends speak the truth in love to one another? Yes. Do friends receive the truth spoken in love from one another? Hope so. And spouses? Do spouses speak the truth in love to one another? Yeah. Hope so. Do they receive it? Nah. (laughs) That's the way it works in marriage. We only speak it. Nobody actually receives it. That's not the way it's supposed to be. But sometimes that's the hardest place, right? Somebody else tell me, not Jackie, somebody else. But that's how we grow. We grow when we speak what needs to be spoken and we do it in love. And we grow when we receive what we need to hear, even though we don't want to hear it in humility. We're not going to grow otherwise. These aren't the only ways in which we grow, but these are core means by which we grow. Receiving truth, speaking truth. Submitting, verse 15 said, growing up into the head. So submitting to the headship of Jesus. You know, this... (laughs) This is where it comes down to... Who's leading here? Is Jesus our head? If he's our head, 
actually, it really doesn't need to make sense to me. He's my head. And so I do what he says, even though I might not always understand what he's doing or why he says it. If he says it, I submit to his headship. Where there is an absence of a recognition of the headship of Jesus in my life, I won't grow. I'll grow to the point that I feel like, okay, that's, a good, that's good enough. So I want to encourage us to affirm consistently in our lives, Lord, you're my head. You call the shots. You direct my paths. You set the pace. You determine how I'm supposed to live as a husband, as a father, as a neighbor. These are the way, the priorities of life. You determine, you're my head. Do you affirm the headship of Jesus in your life? That's essential in our growing. It's fourth in the text, but you see headship is crucial to being willing to speak when we're afraid and being willing to receive when our pride is wounded. And then he says, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Maturity is recognizing, are you a part of the body? Yeah. Are you a part of the body? Yes. And your part is an important part in the body growing up. This is what we spent a lot of time on last week. But recognize that maturity comes about as we learn to serve according to our God-given gifts. Apart from serving, I'm not going to grow into all that God has me to be. Because, friends, there is, there's things that you'll find out and learn about the Lord in this room. As we unpack the scriptures, that's an important part of growing. As you engage with one another in relationship, that's an important part of speaking the truth and receiving the truth in love from one another. But there is a part of our relationship with the Lord that goes well beyond words. And it comes from saying, I'll serve. Think of it this way. Some of you are in a small group, a family group, or maybe some other sort of small group. And you've spent a lot of time in a circle together. Take that same group and go grab rakes, shovels, hoes, and trimmers and work together. And you'll know one another in a way that you didn't get to know one another by yakety yak, 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 yak. 
There's a relationship that happens when we serve versus talk, right? That's true in our relationship with the Lord. You can read your Bible all day, but then serve, do what it says, serve, and you will grow in your relationship with the Lord in ways that you couldn't just from reading your Bible. Because the likeness of Jesus is beyond abiding. It's abiding, seeking, serving, you with me? Confronting, right? And disciple making. So two folks from our body wrote this week some of their journey in serving. I want to read them to you. Not my story, their stories. And, and as I read them to you, I just want you to capture how serving grows us. Uh, this individual says, we were active in church for 18 years in various ministries, children's, adult, missions, and more. But then the COVID chaos hit. As we've steadily turned to a sense of normalcy, I prayerfully considered where and how to become more involved again. Selfishly, I considered what might be the most enjoyable and simplest role for me to fill. There's an honest moment. Ever thought about that? I know I should serve. What would be like the easy one? I mean, you haven't thought that, but this person did. I was reluctant to serve in children's ministry for a few reasons. One, my kids have aged out, and while I'm not old, I'm not as young as I used to be, and little kids can really wear an old person out. So I started substituting in the children's ministry. This is what we'll often see. No, I don't really want to serve weekly. No, no, just put me in as a substitute. I started substituting. I even told Angie and Becky that while I was willing to sub, I didn't want to serve full time. So two weeks ago, it was my turn to help substitute in the three-year-old classroom. Typical morning with a group of three-year-olds. Fussy moments, happy moments, gobbled Cheerios, spilled Cheerios, a potty accident, smiles, tears. But listen, it was also a joyful and rejuvenating hour for me. Think about that. Hour of three-year-olds, rejuvenated. Still, I was unsure, but I recalled several years of helping teach preschool and kindergarten and pouring into those kids' lives as God poured into mine, making up where I lacked. I remembered those kids sharing years later things that they remembered from our long past classes. It reminded me that I had the honor of being a small part of planting seeds in God's harvest. Last Sunday, the Lord made it clear. If to live is Christ, then he will work in me and through me to accomplish his purpose. If only I will have a willing heart turned to him. So here's my heart and my hands, Lord. Help me to faithfully and joyfully serve our preschoolers. There's a change of heart. I don't want to serve. Okay, I'll substitute. (laughs) But then I see and experience being used of the Lord. This individual said, I've gone through seasons of serving. Before marriage, I served in college ministry. After marriage, before kids, I served in nursery. After kids, it was four-year-old Sunday school, helping at events, substituting here and there, but not committing to regular serving. I was honestly working through a heart issue. 
My husband worked weekends. I worked full-time during the week in a demanding, fast-paced field. Weekdays and weekends were tough. I convinced myself that I could not commit to serving regularly. What if my kids got sick and I had to call out at last minute? And I'm tired. I have so much to catch up on at home. I knew I should be serving. So I signed up to be a greeter once a month. And my kids did get sick. And I couldn't make it. But then there was grace and prayers for them to feel better. I was tired. But it was joyful to build relationships with serving buddies, chat with new people, and have my kids with me. Some Sundays, new families with young kids would come, and I was able to walk with them over to children's ministry with my kids and get them connected. I did have a lot to do at home, but I realized serving didn't preclude me from being productive after church. I was dealing with a heart issue. I was focused on self-impact versus kingdom impact. I was missing the point of what I've been called to do and missing out on the privilege to participate. And unknown to me, I had been missing out on community with believers I served alongside and the opportunities for my own growth. So, real journeys that simply reminded me of a few truths. And you don't need to write these down. I just wanted to capture them for us. Serving brings maturity for a few reasons. It brings me maturity because when we serve, it increases our dependence upon the Lord. And though we don't like that, that's a good thing. It brings maturity because it also increases our experience. We get our own stories of God helped me. We don't just have to read stories or hear stories. We have our own. I was dependent. The Lord helped me. Serving brings maturity because ultimately it requires dying to self. And I understand nobody wants to die to self. But Jesus couldn't be more clear. Dying to self is the doorway to life, abundant. So we're conflicted. Ah, I want to protect my life. But in protecting my life, I'm losing it. I'm not finding life. Serving brings maturity because it expands our relational context. I would have never guessed that in part of my journey here, one of my best friends came not from a Bible study, but from digging a mile of irrigation ditches here on campus. Years and years ago, we did about 12 work days in a row on Saturdays. And a guy I'd never met, we got on the trencher. For 12 Saturdays, we trenched about a mile of irrigation trenches here. I had no idea that the Lord would use that to build a deep friendship in my own life. And it increases our appetite for God's word. In other words, servers are hungry in a way that servers, non-servers aren't. I think I've told you before, I don't work out. Obviously. (laughs) Unless I go on a cruise. And then I work out twice a day. 
Why? So I can eat four times a day. <laughs> I work out like mad so I can eat. Why? Because quite frankly, serving increases appetite. And I would suggest that it's possible that you're not really hungry for God's word, maybe connected to, you're not exercising your God-given gifts. You're not working up an appetite. Because anybody who pours themselves out will be hungry to have the truth of God and the life of God poured in. So let me invite you to take the elements of the Lord's Supper. And let me tell you why. Well, yeah, let's, let's take them and let's do the maintenance first. If you're online, maybe grab something that you would take as remembrance of the Lord's Supper. Here, take off that clear. And you get the wafer and then take off the foil. And you'll get to the juice. Here's why I want us to go back to the Lord's Supper. Because the Bible says what we hold in our hands is not the body and blood of Jesus. It's the symbols that remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus. These are the symbols that remind us that Christ died so that we might be restored to relationship with God. And that restoration would include that our sins would be taken away. And that restoration would include that our slavery to sin would be broken. And that restoration would include that the Holy Spirit would be poured into us and the righteousness of Christ would be poured into us so that we might walk in newness of life. In other words, these symbols remind us this, that his fullness in us is for his fullness through us. You understand what I mean? Everything that he is and everything that he did, abiding, seeking, serving, confronting, disciple-making, he's in us. Why? So we can not do our best imitation of him, but that we can live his life through us. All of him in me for all of him through me. The work of Jesus on the cross accomplished all that it needed to so that I could be like him. My sin forgiven, my slavery to sin broken, the righteousness of Christ within me, the spirit of God strengthening me so that I would live out the life that he lived out. Say it this way. The death he died qualified us to live the life he lived. The death he died qualified us to live the life he lived. The fullness of him in us 
for the fullness of him through us. So I'm sure all of us look at these aspects and see where we're not like him. So with the elements in our hands, I want you to just bow and and acknowledge where you see you're not like the Lord. Not because his work has been insufficient, but because you're still growing in maturity. Walking in the light is simply acknowledging where you're not like him. Confess it to him. Thank him that he has been and done all that you need. And then ask him, Lord, would you grow me to be like you? All of you and all of me to fully do all you've called me to do. Lord, thanks for grace, for patience, for the promise that you who began a good work on it, in us will continue it. Would you grow us, Lord? Grow us individually. Grow us as a body. We don't want to get stale or stagnant. We want to learn to abide and continue to seek and to serve and to recognize error, to grow in truth, to multiply in others' lives what you've done in ours. Would you present yourself to him? And now take in remembrance of him who has done all that we need. Let me invite you to stand with me. As we stand, I want us to uh, declare a new song together. A song that simply captures that we have in him all that we need. His calling in us is in order that we might fully do all that he's called us to do. New song, I hope you'll learn it and join in. Lord, in your mercy, alive in your name. of grace shaped by your word sharing your word we are your body the salt of the earth we are your voice and the hands that you will use filled with your fullness we will fully do
truth uh, that he has given us everything that we have to the fullness of him gives us everything for us to fully do everything that he said to do i hope you go today blessed with our eyes fixed on our savior the one who strengthens us to grow us in maturity that's what we want and we hope you have a great week uh well just want to remind you too next weekend is a labor day weekend you know it's a holiday weekend some of you might be doing some traveling i want to make sure uh you remember that we do have a thursday night service seven o'clock right here in the south auditorium and because um, of the weekend, we've extended our Sundays on Thursdays, so we got one more week of ice cream left. So if you come a little early, you can have some ice cream, stay for ice cream. It's been a lot of fun uh, to fellowship that way. Just wanted to remind you of that. I hope you guys go and be blessed. We can pray for you. We've got some folks that are out ready to pray. <laughs>